um, no, you can go. It's, it's fine. Just a cappella. Because uh, as we're singing that, I just felt the presence of God. I don't know about you, but I just really feel the heart of God. And um, the only line I can think of is, all I need is you. So just close your eyes. Just focus on God and just sing that. All I need is you, Lord. It's you, Lord. All I need is you. And all I need is you, Lord. It's you, Lord. And all I need is you. All I need is you. Father, you're all we need. All we need is in you. And Father, this morning we fix our eyes on you. We say, God, speak to us. Stir our hearts with desire for you, Lord. Awaken hunger. Awaken passion. Lord, forgive us for where we've taken our focus of you, Lord, onto things. Lord, realign our hearts this morning, God. Realign our desire, realign our passions this morning, God. We invite you, Holy Spirit, right now to even begin to do that work in our hearts, Lord. All we need is you, Lord. Amen. Um, Thank you for having me a second time. This is my second time here. So it's, it's a privilege to be here. And uh, uh, I've got a few things in my heart I'm going to share. But uh, before I do that, I, I think it's good to kind of like just go over a few things. Uh, because we had prayer storm here um, on the 11th of November, which was my birthday. I don't know how many of you were here then. Yeah, it was an amazing time. It, was, it really was an amazing time. And uh, I really believe God did some significant things uh, here. Now, um, we've got another prayer gathering coming up in three Saturdays from now. I want to encourage you to join us again as we begin to seek God and continually just press in for God to move in this nation. I don't know if some of you listened to the news last night and uh, saw the, the MP, the community secretary guy that uh, overturned one of the rulings uh, to allow prayers in councils before meetings. How about that? <laughs> How about that? <laughs> I read it, I was like, wow, this is amazing. I'm thinking, on the news has been the service of Whitney Houston's burial. People have been watching church, pretty much, okay? And then it gets overturned that prayers can be allowed now. I mean, it's always been, I didn't actually realize it was normal and was okay until recently that that was changed. And then this guy stepped in and overturned it. That's okay to have prayer meetings before, you know, the business of all the council, whatever, all the stuff they do. And I think that's just God's shouting, saying, this nation is not yet forgotten. God still has a purpose for this nation. And God has people is raising up like this guy called Eric Pickles, I think it is, a uh, uh, committee secretary. And that was just so encouraging. No, I want to pray for him right now. Do you want to pray? Yeah. 
Father, I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing for this nation. I thank you for what you're doing in this nation. I thank you for MPs and people in authority you're raising up, like Eric, Father. And right now, Lord, we speak strength to him, Lord. Right now, Lord, we, we speak strength to the Christians in Parliament, that they will not succumb to political correctness, Lord, that they will stand for righteousness and justice in this nation, and they will not be ashamed of the gospel. So right now, Father, we lift him up before you, Lord. We say, Lord, supply every need. Lord, let him be bold for you, Lord. And not a shame, Father, that even when the enemy comes in like a flood over him and over the Christians in the parliament, Lord, you raise up a standard, Lord, against the enemy. And they will be your voice, Lord, in this nation because this nation belongs to you, Father. And Lord, we stand for that as your people, Lord. We declare this nation belongs to you. Bless the leadership of this nation, Father. As they begin to pray before their meetings, Lord, meet with them, Lord. Speak to them, Lord. And let hearts begin to turn around to you, Father. Thank you, Lord. We can see signs, Lord, that you are moving, and we praise you for that. Amen. Amen. Um, now, I work uh, uh, with the Message Trust, and um, some of you might know this, you heard my story, but I'm just going to try to abbreviate a, a bit. You know, about three years, 2007, I was in America. I went to two gatherings. I went to one called The Ramp, and I went to another one called uh, The Call. And it was a prayer meeting with 70,000 people <laughs> for 12 hours straight, okay? It wasn't like, you know, you know, just breaking and just chilling out. It was like intense, you know, in the stadium. It was marking the end of a 40-day fast. And the focus of the prayer meeting was really to repent and to seek God for a spiritual awakening in America. While I was there, the Lord really stirred my heart. And I was saying, God, why don't I see this in England? You know, mass gatherings, not just worship gatherings. We do worship okay. Yeah, we have worship, stuff like that happens. But I mean, mass mobilization of people to pray for the nation. Because really, prayer is the key to awakening. There is no awakening in the history of the planet that did not start with the people of prayer. The reason why that's so important is... This realm is the physical realm, but the spiritual realm is more real than this realm. And we're so used to this realm that we don't realize the significance of the spiritual realm. The Bible says the things that we see are made out of the things that are not seen. So this reality we experience right now came from a superior reality. Okay, So if that is true, which is the case, if we're really going to change things in this realm and, and it's going to be an effective change to last the long haul, we have to change things in the spirit realm first. And we change things in that realm through worship and intercession and prayers. That is why everything we're seeking for God to do in this nation has to be preceded by prayer, has to be preceded by worship and intercession, and the people of God rising up. God is looking at the church of England. When I say the church of England, I don't mean the denomination. I mean the church of God in England to determine what he's going to do in this nation. We are the ones that move the heart of God to move in this nation. God is not looking at the sin to determine if he's going to move or not. He's looking at the church to see if they'll humble themselves, pray, turn from their own wicked ways, cry out to him, and then he's going to come and heal the land. We are the ones that determine this. Does that make sense? So the point is prayer is such an absolute priority for the church in these last days. And I'm in America in this stadium thinking, God, why is this not happening? I want to see this, you know, happen in England. Well, that was the end of that. A few hours down the line, I was just worshiping and, you know, just engaging in the service. And the Lord spoke to me very clearly. He said, James, you're going to do this in England. And that really shocked me because at the time I didn't really have any 
concept of doing anything like that, like, you know, gathering people to pray and to repent and to seek God for this nation. Well, to cut the long story short, through a series of supernatural events, you know, God connections, I go home one day, I was praying, and the Lord just put a name in my mind, Deborah Green. Didn't know who she was. Went on Google. I always say, thank God for Google. And I typed in Deborah Green Manchester prayer, something like that. And she came up, and I felt to send her a video of a conference I'd just been to where people were praying for revival in England. This was in America. Some young kids were praying for revival in England. So they were praying, and it was a really powerful time. I sent it to her. I was part of that prayer meeting, too. I sent it to her. She was impacted by it. She failed to send it to Andy Hawthorne. He was impacted by it, failed to play it at the message prayer day. The message prayer day happens once a month, every month, okay? So... He plays out the message prayer that people were impacted by it. Now, I don't have any connections with the message trust up until this point. And uh, someone in that meeting saw that video and was like, actually, I know that guy on, praying on the screen. She sent me an email to say, oh, we just saw a video of you play, praying at the message. I think you should come around and see what we do. Well, the rest is history. I started working from the message since about 2007. And I started off doing video stuff you know, and it's evolved, you know, right now my job is full-time prayer coordinator. I never thought 2007, when the Lord spoke to me, you'll be mobilizing prayer in this nation. I never knew I was going to end up here. But actually the person that saw that video and was like, I know James and sent me an email, is part of this church, Colette Dallas. Does everyone know Colette Dallas? So thank God for people like Colette Dallas who heard God and felt like it was right for me to be part of the message trust. So since then, I've been part of the message trust. And if you've been in Manchester for a long time, you know the message trust has had a massive impact on a lot of things in this city. And I believe God is using this ministry. And we're going through a lot of expansion and God is blessing this uh, ministry at this time. A lot of things we're going into, a lot of things we're doing, I'm not going to go fully into right now. But I just want to give you that background for those of you that don't know where I come from and why I do what I do. So the Lord has really been stirring my heart to mobilize the church to prayer and to intercession. And you know, one of the things you start to encounter is when you start to give yourself to seek God for revival and seek God to change a community, change a nation, the first thing it starts to do is it starts to change you. Because it's possible to be passionate about the work of God and not be passionate about God. You can be passionate about revival. You can be passionate about more people coming to church. You can be passionate about all the things that you want to see God do. And it's possible to just run with that passion and your heart grows cold. And your heart is not stirred anymore in the presence of God. But it's not possible to be passionate for God and not be passionate for his work. We can fall in love with the move of God and not the God of the move. And God is calling us first and foremost to fall in love with him. Because that's what's going to sustain our work for him. Heart-sick lovers of God would always outlast workers of God. What's going to happen is if you start pressing on and going, oh, God, I want to do great things for you, God, I want to do this, and you start running, and you don't have your priorities set right, you're going to end up in a place of burnout. So I talk a lot about prayer. I talk a lot about revival, and I'm passionate about that. But more than that, I'm passionate about God. And this morning, I want to share a few things with you from the scriptures to stir your heart in this direction. Because I believe in these last days, these things are absolute priority for us. So I'm going to read from Matthew 25. And it's the parable we're going to be looking at this morning. So uh, you can turn to Matthew 25. Okay, I'm going to start reading uh, from verse 1. It says, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened unto, unto ten virgins 
who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five of them were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. Verse 6, and at midnight a cry was heard, behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out and meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you. But rather, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to, to sorry, while they went to buy the, their own oil, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you do not know the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Um, this parable is absolutely key in these last days because if you read the context in which Jesus was speaking these words, he was only speaking these words to his disciples. And Matthew 24 talks about the end times. And, you know, they were asking Jesus, what, what are the signs of the times? Uh, this is the, pre- the previous chapter to this. And Jesus has telling them the signs of the times. And then he gives a few parables, and these parables is one of them. Now, the first word that you start with in this parable, in the King James Version, it says, uh, Matthew 25, verse 1, it says, then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened unto ten virgins. Okay? So this parable is specific to a time in history. Because it says, then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened unto virgins. Well, the question is, when is then? Then is a specific time, which I believe we are in right now. The reason why I say we're in that time right now is, you know, Peter got up on the day of Pentecost and says, you know, uh, quoted Joel to and says, uh, in the last days I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Okay. Peter quoted Joel's prophecy, declaring that the Pentecost was the starting of the last days. So really, The last days started from the day of Pentecost because Peter quoted that and it's in scripture as the word of the Lord, okay? And you know the Bible says uh, a thousand years as one day and one day is a thousand years before God. So the point is, if the last days started in the day of Peter, we're not just in the last days right now. We're in the end times. We're in the season that's very crucial to the preparation for the second coming of Christ. Because whether you believe it or not, Jesus is coming again. And Jesus is coming to, uh, to, to a spotless bride. Jesus is coming to a church that has a renewed revelation of him. And I believe before Jesus returns again, there's going to be an outbreak of the Spirit of God and revelation and power and signs and wonders, not just for the people in the pulpits, but for you. The church of God are going to have a fresh revelation of who this Jesus is that we worship. And you're going to begin to move in the power of God. Now, when Jesus gave this parable, he was referring to a specific time in history. So the reason why I feel it's very important for us is because this has been something that has radically impacted my heart about three or four years ago when I came across this, you know. And if you read on, it says, then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened unto ten virgins. Well, what, is the, what, is, what does ten virgins refer to? You know, the Bible refers to the church as the bride of Christ. So we know the ten virgins speaks of the church. It speaks of us, God's people, okay, the bride of Christ. You know, some people struggle with the concept of a man being a bride, okay. But 
boys are the bride of Christ, just like girls are the sons of God. It all talks about a position of relationship. The bride of Christ is wearing army boots. Does that make sense? In other words, the bride of Christ is not just about, I love you, I love you, I love you. The bride of Christ is also declaring and releasing the kingdom of God. And the bride of Christ is also warring. Because the foundation for intercession is intimacy. So to be the, the bride, as, the, as the bride of Christ, we have access to his heart, to the heart of God. As the sons of God, we have access to the power of God. And God has called us to both. We're not just going to have the heart of God and not have his power. We're not just going to have his power and not have his heart because we, the power is going to corrupt us. So the Lord is talking about the church. When he says the ten virgins, it's a picture of the church. And then if you read on, he says, they took their lamps and they went out to meet the bridegroom. Now, the, the word, when, we always say the ten virgins took their lamps. Lamps represents ministry. Lamps represents God's calling on your life. It says in Matthew 5, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So your light comes from your lamp. Your light shines before men and that light that shines before men are the good works you do. So the lamp is a type of ministry. When you talk of ministry, people think of the pastor, the, the prophet, the teacher, the apostle, the evangelist, and almost nullify themselves from the fact that they're called to ministry. You know, in, in, uh, in, uh, in uh, what's it now? Ephesians 4, I believe, when Paul talks about the fivefold ministry, he wasn't just, he just, he didn't just put it in a context where it was only a few that called to do the work. He says, the fivefold ministry, the pastor, the prophet, the evangelist, the teacher, the apostle, they're there to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. So you're the one that's meant to do the work of the ministry, not the pastor. That's not to say he does not have to do the work of the ministry, but it's not just him that has to do it. Because many times you come to church and say, oh, the pastor do all the work. The worship leaders do all the work. I just come and I just chill out. There's nothing like chilling out in the kingdom of God. You are called to work. You are called for great works that God prepared for you to do. And those great works are not just for, the, for those that are in pulpit ministry. They are called to equip the church that we will do the work of the ministry. I wonder maybe we put so much pressure on the leaders that they feel like they have to do everything. Maybe that's that's why a lot of them just get burnt out so easily. Because we expect them to do everything. And we're the ones that's meant to be doing the work of the ministry. The church of God. Am I making any sense here today? The pastor is not just anointed of God to preach. You're also anointed of God as a full-time mom. You're anointed of God as an accountant. You're anointed of God as a school teacher. You're anointed of God. Whatever job God has given you, you're anointed in that place to do the work of the ministry. It's not just the pastor. So when he says the ten virgins took their lamps, it's not just talking about the, the, the leadership ministry of the church and those who have all this pulpit ministry. You have a ministry. And see yourself in that verse. You have a lamp. You have a calling. You have a ministry. And they took their lamps and they went out to meet the bridegroom. So that means these uh, ten virgins, the church, in the last days, is going to have an increased revelation of Jesus as the bridegroom. This revelation is beginning to sweep through the church. You know, even through the prophetic worship movement. Even look over the last 20, 30 years. You find that the worship in the church, even the last 100 years, has gradually been changing, been changing. And we're stepping into new things and fresh things. And there's a prophetic worship movement that's arising. And a lot of it is centered around intimacy with God and understanding God as the bridegroom. And this passage is talking about the last days. The church in the last days, the church in the end times of the last days, are going to begin to have an increased revelation of Jesus as the bridegroom. Jesus is not just the king, he's the bridegroom and he's the judge. 
And God is going to begin to release the fullness of that revelation as we press more into the heart of God. Some of us, most of us just know Jesus as the king, as the Lord who heals, as the one we worship on the throne. But he's also a bridegroom and he's sick, he's heart, he's heart sick with, with desire and love and passion for us. But he's also a judge with fire in his eyes. And he's going to judge and remove everything that hinders love. We are all going to stand before the throne of God and be judged one day. Jesus is a fierce king. Many times we think of Jesus as, you know, this man who is, you know, gentle, suppy, and, you know, he wouldn't do anything to harm anyone. But I tell you, as we begin to see the fiery passion of Jesus, we begin to see Jesus in a totally different light. Jesus as judge does not contradict who he is as a bridegroom. Jesus as judge is because he wants to remove everything that hinders love. Everything that hinders him from showing his full affection from us, for us. And that is sin in this generation. And Jesus is going to reveal himself not just as a bridegroom, but as the king and as judge. Now, these ten virgins had a revelation of Jesus as the bridegroom. And that's the point I'm making, that in these last days, the Lord is beginning to release the revelation of the heart of Jesus. And his heart has been revealed to us as a God who is really passionate for us, passionate for intimacy, and passionate for us to, to encounter his desires for us. I always like to say, I believe we can find our satisfaction in God. You know, just like, just like uh, you watch TV or you watch entertainment, you watch movies, you watch things to, to, to have some form of fascination. And, you know, we all have that desire put in us to, to have some sort of fascination and, and entertainment. All I'm here to say is you can find that fulfillment in God. That's not to say TV is wrong, but I'm saying, do you realize that the desire to be fascinated and to be entertained, that can be fulfilled in God? Because like I said earlier on, the spirit realm is more real than the physical realm. And God created physical pleasures. God is the author of pleasures. If he created the pleasures we experience and we think they're so good, how much more if we press into the superior dimension of experiencing him? That means that the pleasures in the realm of the spirit that we can experience far outweighs any natural or physical pleasure. Because God is the author of it and he's in a superior realm. Am I making any sense? We know nothing about the reality of the love of God. I'm telling you, even... Myself included, everyone included, we don't have any idea of the reality of that love and how much it's real and how it can change us. Because when you encounter it, you're really changed. That's why the Bible says when we see him, we're changed. We're changed by beholding him. Because there's something about gazing into Jesus and finding our fulfillment in him that changes us. It's not just the self-will and self-motivation to not want to sin. No, when we get captured by the eyes and the glory and the face of Jesus, our desire to want to sin is going to be minimized automatically. Because we're captured by greater pleasure. Does that make any sense? And God is calling us to a place of experiencing the superior pleasures, the superior pleasures of his kingdom. And I want to draw you into this because when you begin to see that one, you have a ministry. It's not just those on the pulpit. And God is releasing a revelation of his heart for you. Then this parable begins to make more sense. Because the next few verses says, now the five, okay, now out of ten, out of ten, ten virgins, there are five wise and five foolish. It says, now five of them were wise and five of them were foolish, yeah? Then verse three says, those who were foolish, they took their lamp and they took no oil. And then verse 4 says, those who were wise took their oil and in their oil, they took their lamps. So they took their oil and then took their lamps. Okay. Now, something I did not 
explained earlier on that's come up is the whole uh, uh, meaning of what oil means. Um, I've explained what the lamp means. The lamp represents ministry. Oil represents our internal connection with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's impact on our hearts. In other words, our heart's ability to be uh, tenderized in the presence of God, our heart's ability to engage with God, our heart's ability to be enlarged and, and feel and connect with God in a deep way. That is what oil means. You know, you can have a prosperous ministry. You can have a, a big ministry and have no oil on the inside. You can be functioning by the gifts of God, and really your heart connection is dead with God. Because the Bible says in the last days, some people are going to stand before God and say, I prophesied in your name. I, I, I raised the dead. I healed the sick. I did these things. And God is going to say, I did not know you. Oil. No. Intimacy. And God is saying in this time, there are five, and, there are five wise and there are five foolish. What makes the wise virgins wise and what makes the foolish virgins foolish? I want to know that. I don't know about you, but I want to be in the category of the wise virgins. Now, if you read the passage in verse, uh, in verse 3, it says, The foolish ones, they took their lamps before they took their oil. They took their ministry first before they took their internal connect with God. The wise virgins took their internal connect with God, their oil first, and then they took their ministry second. So what we're beginning to understand here is a misplaced priority. The foolish virgins did not think that the oil was not important. They knew it was important, but they just had it as second priority. It wasn't the most important thing to them. Their ministry growing, God meeting their needs, and all these things happening on the outside, and them having a bigger ministry and bigger impact, that was their priority before their oil. Whereas the wise virgins understood the priority of intimacy with God, and they put that first. That's what made them wise. And God is calling us back, the, the church, the place of the first commandment. Again, I believe the last time I spoke here, I mentioned this. And the first commandment is not the first suggestion. It's a commandment. To love the Lord all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, there's no way we can set our hearts to fulfill that commandment and be able to be intense and give ourselves to ten other things at the same time. Because the reality is, when you set yourself to love God, it narrows your life down to the real things that matter. Like David said, one thing I've desired, that I will seek the Lord, you know, and behold his face in his holy temple. David was able to narrow his life down to one thing. And that one thing was intimacy with God. And that's what marked David in his generation. It wasn't the wars that he fought for God and the great victories. And he's the greatest king that Israel's known. Even to this day, Jesus referred to as the son of David. You know, he was a man that God used in a great way. But what marked him was not his ministry. It was more his heart for God. And the Lord is calling us back to the place of prioritizing oil and intimacy with him above ministry. I love what John Piper says. He said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied. I'll say it this way. God is most glorified in us and through us when we are most satisfied in him. We can find our ultimate satisfaction in him. Now, if you read on. It says, at midnight, thank you. <laughs> it says, at, at midnight, um, uh, the bridegroom was delayed. Okay, verse 5. It says, and, but while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. Now, 
you know, we look at the, the word slumbering and sleeping, generally in, in Scripture, it's meant to mean a negative thing when people sleep. But in this context, both the wise and the foolish slept. So it's not a negative thing in this context because they both slept. I believe it's a picture of just going through the daily routine of life. As I believe it's a picture of just the, the challenges of life. Everyone goes through that, whether you're wise or foolish or Christian or not. The challenges of life you go through. And this, they all slept as a picture of that. But the point I want to actually bring from this verse is the fact that the bridegroom delayed his coming. What is going to sustain us in this race is not our zeal and our passion and all the things we try to do for God. And I've already stated this earlier on because when Jesus uh, ascended um, and he said to his disciples, wait in the upper room. And they were praying. They did not know they were going to be waiting for 10 days, right? He didn't tell them they were going to be waiting for 10 days. He just told them to wait and to seek him. And they were seeking his face. And on day 10, he poured out his spirit. But the reason why he was able to pour out his spirit on day 10 was because they had been faithful. Day one, day two, day three, day four. You know, they had been faithful. Their faithfulness prepared them for the outpouring that was coming. And there's some people today that say, oh, you know, God is going to release revival whenever he wants to. I don't believe in that. I believe God works with man to do what he wants to do on the earth. There's nothing that God does on the earth that he's also, he does not look for men to agree with him in prayer and intercession to release what he's about to do. Even when Jesus was about to be born, there were people on the earth like Anna in the temple who were fasting and praying to prepare the way for him to come. Whatever God wants to do, he looks for people to partner with him. And when we begin to seek God and we begin to say, God, we want you to move in this nation. God, I want you to release a breakthrough in this situation and all these things. Sometimes, not all the time, but most times than not, there's a time delay factor in the realm of the spirit. The fact that we pray for something now and we're not seeing the fullness of the breakthrough. What is going to keep us when the breakthrough is delayed is the intimacy with God. Because if you don't have the intimacy with God and all you're looking after is the breakthrough, you're going to get fed up, tired, and give up. Because your heart is going to be renewed when you press into the heart of God. I always say this, and I love it because it's true. That intercession, uh, uh, intimacy, is the foundation of intercession. In intercession, we touch the nations of the earth. In intimacy, we touch the heart of God. Intercession gives God glory. Uh, Intimacy gets, uh, gets God's heart. And we are called to both dimensions. I am more concerned about 20 years down the line being more fiery for God than I am right now. Well, if that is the case, then I need to make sure I'm positioning my mind to run this race for 50 years and still be on fire for God. Not just to be on fire for God for two years. It's very easy to be passionate for God in a meeting. It's very easy to be passionate for God in a short moment. But to maintain that passion for 10 years is not easy. The way you run a 100 meters race is different to the way you run a 5,000 meter race. You have to pace yourself. You have to have a rhythm. And you know, one of the problems with us in the church is most of us don't have a rhythm of consistently developing oil in the presence of God. You would pray 10 times more this year if you would put the time in your diary to meet with him and pray. You know, some people say, oh, I pray, I pray when I do this, I pray when I do that. You know, I just pray on, on the go. I'm not undermining that at all. But many times, the people I've heard say that use that as a cop-out not to make time to seek God. It says, when you pray, Matthew, shut your door. It tells a time. It tells you of a place. 
show your door. It's a room. You have a place where you pray. That's not to say you only pray in that room and you don't pray anywhere else. But you need to have specific time to gain oil. You're not going to go deep in God on the run. You're not going to, you know, your love for God is not going to mature if all you do is just come to church, if all you do is go to meetings, and you don't make time to go deep in God. It takes time to grow in love with God. It takes time to have your heart enlarged. And you have to create the space for the more that you're asking for. There's no point crying out for more of God if I'm not creating the space for the more to come into. And God is calling us to a place of having a rhythm in our lives because we've set our priorities right. Many of us have our priorities misplaced. Not that we think intimacy with God is wrong or it's not, it's, not, it's not important, but it's not just the most important thing to us. It's not, it's not the highest priority. Like, we're not too bothered if we miss it. But God is calling us to the place where we, have, we are setting this as the sole priority of our lives. Because if it's the first commandment to love the Lord all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, And it's the greatest commandment in the eyes of God. The question is, is it the greatest commandment in our eyes? We need to see it from God's perspective. I want to challenge you today. Make time on a regular basis to seek God. Make time on a regular basis to go deep in the heart of God. That is where you receive the impartation to fulfill the second commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. You're not going to have the love to do the works of the ministry if you don't go deep in the heart of God. I remember once I was praying, worshiping in a meeting in Manchester, and the Lord just said, bring to my mind all these things I was doing for him that was great, or I thought was good. And the Lord just said very clearly to me, James, all these things are good, but they're going to die because you've not put this as a first priority. And it was like a stern like rebuke and the word of God. And I just knew I have to make this a priority. I have to wake up early to seek God. If I don't do it in the morning, I don't, I don't have much time during the day to do it. So I, I, it has to be my priority. Now, if you make the time to seek God and you hit 80% of that target in the whole year, it's better than hitting 100% of no targets. And what I'm challenging you to do right now, I'm not saying you're always going to have the 100% hit the mark, but I'm saying set yourself to go after it. Say your mind that this is my priority. I have got to go deep in God. A year down the line, this time next year, I want my heart to be enlarged. I want my heart to be larger than it is right now. Because the reason, you know, many times I find prayer hard, hard because my heart is hard. And the same goes for all of us. We find prayer hard many times because our hearts are not softened by the presence of God. I remember hearing Bill Johnson say once that he doesn't like to go about two weeks without weeping in the presence of God. Because there's something about the presence of God that actually tenderizes our hearts. And prayer does not become so much of a chore. When it's, prayer becomes much more interesting when it's not just going through a list, but it's encountering a person. Because that is what it's all about in the first place. That's not to say uh, the lists and the things we want to ask from God are not important. But predominantly, the first priority is to meet with him, his presence. I don't think I have much time. So I'm going to try to just rush through this. Now, obviously, the bridegroom arrives, and uh, the wise virgins said to the, uh, sorry, in verse 9, sorry, in verse 8, and the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, no, lest there should not be enough for us and for you. Now, if you read the Sermon on the Mount, you know Jesus talks about sharing with your neighbor. You know, if your neighbor is in need, you know, kind of giving your other coat and all these things. When you come to this context, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking, well, what's the big deal? Just give him some of your oil. <laughs> Why are you so stingy about oil? 
Just share it. But no, it doesn't work that way. Because you cannot impart your secret history with God to anyone else. You cannot share your history with God. You cannot lay hands on someone and give them your history with God. You can't impart that. Your history of God is your history of God. And that is what you develop in the place of intimacy with God. It's not something you can give to somebody else. And God is calling us to develop a history with him. You know, as we're worshiping God right in this place, Jesus was in this place. And Jesus is in this place right now. My question is, Jesus is here. The Bible says, where is he stood? What is he wanting to do? What is he saying? I'm trying to point your mind to the reality of the fact that it's not just a religious phrase. Oh, Jesus is here. It's, it's real. Jesus is here. But when we worship him, we're exposing ourselves to encounter him because he's already here. Now, we don't necessarily encounter him physically. Some people may have visions and see Jesus and have revelations of God. I don't have that. But I'm saying to you right there, standing or kneeling and worshiping God, I am encountering Jesus. The reason why I say that is to say this. On the last day, when I see Jesus face to face, I want to look into his eyes knowing that I already have history with him. Knowing that I've already encountered him face to face, even if he was not in my, with my physical eyes, in my heart, I've encountered him on a regular basis. I don't want to be seeing him on the last day thinking, oh my gosh, who is this man? I don't even have a clue. Now, don't get me wrong. There's a dimension of me that's still going to think that because... Jesus is amazing. John saw Jesus and felt like a dead man. The same Jesus that he was laying on, you know, at the table. You know, so I'm not trying to say I'm going to have all the fullness and revelation of Jesus before I see him face to face. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying before I see him face to face, I want to develop a history with God. You know, it says of Samuel that God did not allow his words to fall to the ground. But if you read the chapter before that, it says Samuel ministered before the Lord. Samuel was a man who knew the intimacy of God. I believe one of the reasons why God did not allow Samuel's word to fall to the ground was because Samuel did not allow God's word to him to fall to the ground. He was a man after God's heart. He was a man who sought the Lord. And I'm saying, God, I want to encounter your face. I want to encounter your heart. Now, these uh, five wise, five foolish virgins, they got to this place where the foolish virgins are asking for oil. But the wise virgin said, we cannot give you all. And I've just made that point that you cannot transfer, you cannot give to anyone your secret history of God. But listen to what the wise virgin said to the foolish virgins. It says, go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. Buy for yourselves. If you read Revelations, it talks about the lukewarm church. And one of the things that Jesus says as a remedy to the lukewarm church is, buy for yourselves gold refined in fire. Buying is a picture of exchange. You need to give something to receive something. It's a picture of letting go. In other words, it's, there's a price to pay to go deep in God. There's a price to pay to get oil. Because the natural flow of life and society is against us all. We're, we're going against the tide. And it's like if you're going against the tide and you do nothing, and you stand still, you'll be swept away. If the force at which you're exerting against the tide is equal to the force at which the tide is coming against you, you remain in the same position. So the force you have to exert against the tide to make any progress has to be greater than the opposition you're feeling. Am I making sense? In other words, we need to get to a place of spiritual violence. Like it talks about in, in uh, what's it, Matthew 11. It says, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, but the violence taken by force. Spiritual violence speak of not settling for anything less than God's best in the area of intimacy with him. 
In other words, God, I'm going to have all that I can have in intimacy with you on this side of eternity. I'm not going to settle for anything less. I, I, wanna have, I don't want to get to heaven and realize I wasted my life. I don't want to get to heaven and realize there was much more that God had for me than I had because I was lazy. You know, you can get to heaven and that's great, but you can miss out on the purpose of God for you on the earth. Heaven sent people on the earth not to extract materialism off the earth. Heaven sent people on the earth to display a glory to the world that cannot be found in the things of the earth. I'll say that again. Heaven sent people on the earth to display a glory that cannot be found in the things of the earth. We're not on the earth just to take the things of the earth and the materialism and to have all this stuff. We're on the earth to, to display the glory of God. And that glory of God cannot be found in things. And God is calling us to encounter that glory in his presence. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to be one of these wise virgins that gives myself to seeking God. I'm going to round up here right now. And uh, at the end, um, the bridegroom came. The foolish virgins has gone, had gone to buy the oil, and they missed an opportunity. I believe that talks about, because when they went to buy the oil, uh, the bridegroom came and they missed him. They missed a divine opportunity. That could speak of a revival. That could speak of a move of God, where their buying of oil was a preparation for the outpouring. But because they did not prepare themselves, when the outpouring came, they were missed out. God did not use them, or they, were miss, they missed out on what God was doing. Now, does that make any sense? That just like the disciples prepared for 10 days, and then Pentecost came. If they did not do that 10 days, I don't believe Pentecost will have come. And some people are trying to bypass the process because they just want the outpouring. But it's not going to happen that way. You know, many of us cry out for God to pour out His Spirit upon the nation. We cry out for Him to move in the city. But we're asking the Holy Spirit to show up publicly. If we've not, how, why? We're asking the Holy Spirit to show up publicly for us. And we haven't shown up privately for Him. Because the power that's going to come in the public is going to be a secondary consequence of the fact that we're giving ourselves to gain oil in intimacy with Him. And the, the, the foolish virgins missed an opportunity here. And uh, they came in verse 11. And uh, the other virg- uh, afterwards, the other virgins, the foolish virgins, also said, Lord, Lord, open for us, verse 12. And he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. That's the word again. I do not know you in a deep, intimate way. And then the, the, the end of the parable is, Watch, therefore, for you do not know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Watch talks about being alert. Watch talks about being on the guard. It talks about, you know, it talks about being watchmen on the wall, being intercessors, standing in the gap. All these things are all connotations that I can take from that word, watch. And I'm calling us today to realign our priorities. Do you understand what I mean? I believe the Lord is calling us today to realign our priorities. You know, many times in my life, I have to re-examine my heart before God and make sure that I am keeping the main things as the main things. And I'm making sure that I am not misplacing my priorities. Many times I misplace my priorities. And I have to come back to God and say, God, realign my heart to make the first things the first thing. Realign my heart to gain oil and go deep in you. I don't want to have a large ministry and my heart is dead on the inside. I don't want you to have an effective outpouring of spirit of God in your workplace. Business is booming and things are happening and there's blessing and your heart is just dead with God. You close your eyes and you cannot connect with God. I don't want that. That is that. Is, that is nightmare for me. So I want you to turn your eyes to the Lord. I don't know if you can have some of the musicians up. And let's just lift our hearts to the Lord. You know, we sang that song, All I Need Is You. 
maybe even in your heart, just being expressed that to the Lord and say, Father, I don't want to be foolish in these last days, in these end times. I don't want to be foolish. I want to be wise. I want to know what you're doing, Father. Would you stir my heart, Lord, and realign my heart? Maybe you need to make priorities right now. You need to begin to reshape your priorities. You need to begin to ask the Lord to begin to realign your priorities right now. Begin to do that. And maybe you need to make commitments to God. Say, Father, I really, really need a shift in my heart. Do that right now. If you need to make decisions and make time to seek God on a regular basis, do that right now. Begin to turn your heart to God. Say, Father, stir me with desire for you. Stir me with hunger and passion for intimacy that I will not have my priorities misplaced in these end times, Lord. I want to be wise. I want to seek your face. I want to burn with desire for you. Holy Spirit, I need you. Father, I need you. Awaken me from complacency. Awaken me from dullness. Break the chains of deception off of my mind. Holy Spirit, would you come? Awaken our hearts to you in this place. Come on, don't be quiet. Just call out to the Lord. We need you, Lord. We need you, Lord. We ask you, Lord, to touch our hearts today, Lord. Let there be a shift in, Lord. A shift in. Let the main things, Lord, begin to be real to us, Lord. The main thing of your face, your face, Lord. We choose to live in your face, Lord. We choose to seek your face, Lord. Oh, Lord, let all the materialism and all the addictions and all the confusion and all the deception of this world fade away, Lord, into nothingness, Lord. That all we desire and all we go after is your face alone, Lord. Oh, we seek you, Lord. Make us people of the secret place, Lord. Make us men and women of the secret place, Lord. The first commandment to first priority, Lord. Start right here, God. As we, your people, turn our hearts to you, Lord.